Well, it's uh, great to have you guys today, um, especially in the with the upcoming ice ice apocalypse that's that's heading our way. Um, I'm sure that you have been to the grocery store multiple times since the news, and if not, there's nothing left, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I think Amy stood in line for probably 30, 45 minutes last night, and and she just needed to go to the grocery store. We weren't stocking up for for anything, but. Uh, we're going to be back in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2 today as we continue our study on uh, the essence of Christian leadership. This is our second part to this series, and we're studying through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we come to chapter 2 focusing on the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and we've entitled this The Essence of Christian Leadership because we want to, uh, we want to glean and we want to extract Leadership principles from the life of the Apostle Paul. How did the Apostle Paul lead the church? What are some of the ways that he lived and uh, practiced ministry? And ultimately, we want to do that because he gives us a great example of how to be our own Christian leaders. I don't know about you, but um, we, we can watch the news for a good 20 or 30 minute section uh, on a, on a weeknight and realize that there is a desperate need for Christian leadership in the world. We have plenty of leaders. We don't have good Christ, Christian leadership. We don't have leaders that are convicted according to the word of God. We have leaders that are based on their own opinions, on subjectivity, uh, what they consider truth. Matter of fact, I was even listening to the Albert Moeller program this week on the briefing where he recounted how the, uh, the stance on uh, same-sex marriage changed over the tenure of President Barack Obama's uh, place in, in office as governor to place in office as president. That he literally went on record and, and, and changed his views over time with same-sex marriage based upon political means. And, and so what we need is we need Christian leaders that are standing firm not on something that wavers, but on something that is solid, the foundation of God's word. And, and so uh, we see that in Christ. We see that in our Lord and Savior. And so as Paul says in the book of 1 Thessalonians many times, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so what we're coming here today is to say, what can we see in this second chapter of 1 Thessalonians? And what can we glean to say, how can I be a Christian leader? See, the, the point is, folks, is that we can't just look at the life of the Apostle Paul and go, well, this passage is about people in the church, uh, leaders in the church, pastors in the church. Yes, it applies to me. It applies to pastors in the church. It applies to deacons in the church. It applies to all of us in the church because the word of God should convict all of us to such an, ex such an extent that we are leaders in our world governed and, and motivated by the word of God. So you lead at your work, you lead at your home, you lead in your neighborhood, you are set forth as, as being leaders. And I think a lot of us say, well, but, I, but Nathan, I'm not the leader type. And I, and I have to tell you that, that where your personality and the way that, um, that you are, are, are maybe, uh, maybe introverted or, or certain, to a certain extent does not, does not remove the responsibility for you to be a Christian leader. You still, if you're, a, if you're a man in here, if you're a husband in here and you're not the most extroverted person, you are still responsible to lead your wife and your family according to the word of God. You can still be a leader in your home and in your workplace. 
I'm not asking you to stand up on a stage and, and, and preach to thousands like George Whitfield or, or Charles Spurgeon. What I'm asking you to do is to be bold with the gospel. Be bold with the word of God. If you're a young person here today, you can stand and be bold before your friends. You can be at school or you can be you know, out on the playground or do whatever. My, my, uh, my uh, six-year-old or seven-year-old nephew is a, uh, the son of a missionary in Spain. They live in Spain. And Warren is his name. And Warren went to the, the playground one day. And uh, Spain is a very atheistic country. Uh, just with corruption in the government and corruption in the, in the church there. And so atheism is, is rampant in, in Spain. And they found out that, that, um, that Warren and his family are missionaries. And so on the playground, this, this young little boy is being chastised. You believe in Jesus? You believe in, in the Bible? That's crazy. And my little nephew stands up for the truth of the gospel and says, yeah, I do believe it because Jesus died and rose from the grave. I believe it because it's true. And that's, that's what we're here to do to teach people about Jesus. So, yeah, I believe it. This is a little kid. So if a little child can do this on a playground in Spain in front of all these atheistic people, these atheistic children who, who have been taught that God is, is not real, then, then we can do that, folks. We can make a stand for the gospel. We can be Christian leaders. And so last week, what we talked about is, is, is how is Paul begins his, his section about, about spiritual boldness or divine boldness with the gospel. Listen, boldness is, uh, is, is wrought by the Holy Spirit. And so the boldness comes when me as a father uh, sits in front of my children and says, now, what you just said is not true. Let me tell you what the Bible says. That's boldness. A boldness is to speak, we said, all the truth. That's what the word boldness in the Bible means, to speak all the truth. So I am, I am standing in a bold stance to teach my children about the gospel. I'm taking a bold stance to teach my neighbors about the gospel. I'm taking a bold stance to speak against the error in the world. That's what divine boldness is. And that boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. So listen, I, I hate to tell you, I hate to deflate your bubble here, but God has given all people divine boldness to speak the truth. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have divine boldness. And we have no excuse. We have no excuse. The second thing that we learned from the Apostle Paul today, and this is kind of the theme of, of the message, is not only divine boldness, but Christ-centered integrity. Christ-centered integrity integrity. Now, integrity, again, is a word that uh, we don't really understand today. I don't know if you guys caught the news this week about NBC News anchor Brian Williams. What did he do? He got caught up in his words as he began to tell a story of, of soldiers in, in, I think it was Iraq, and they were uh, in, a, in a, 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 I guess, a convoy of helicopters, and Brian Williams made it seem like he was on a helicopter that got shot down by an RPG. But the truth immediately came out by those soldiers that he wasn't on that helicopter. He was on another helicopter that witnessed it happening. But what did he do? He embellished the truth. And I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I was floored that he got suspended for six months. Because truth doesn't matter to people anymore. Matter of fact, if you take, I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, shows on Comedy Central called The Daily Show and, 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 and some of those news, uh, The Colbert Report. These are two um, mixtures of shows that you don't know if they're actually telling the truth 
and giving factual news or if they're just doing a com comedy bit. You don't know because there's such a blending. You can do this in a, um, you can even find this in, in a stand-up comedian's maybe monologue like Jimmy Fallon on the, the Fallon show or, or the Tonight Show now. What is he doing? He's, he's talking, and, and you think he's maybe talking about truth, but you don't really know because he's just trying to be funny. And, and, and I just want you guys to see that because we have to be discerners of truth. I mean, that's what we're about. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he is the truth that we need to seek. And the truth is found in the word of God, the, the words about Christ. And so they should motivate and they should fuel what we should have in our lives. And that's Christian integrity. And Paul, Paul was ministering in Thessalonica. And as we've learned and as we've studied, Paul began to face accusation. Paul began to face slander. Let me read this for you. Let me start in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For you know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But although we had suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul here was beginning to, um, to hear from uh, another city. He had traveled from Thessalonica down the coastline to the city of Corinth, and, and word came to him that he was, being slant, he was being slandered. False teachers had come in, and they began to, to, uh, to uh, try to destroy his reputation. And that's kind of what happens. That's what Satan does to the people of God. First of all, he will attack us sometimes physically. Maybe we will face difficulty and trials, and, and, and that's what was happening with Paul. Satan was attacking him. He was thrown in prison in Philippi. He was beaten in, prison, uh, in Philippi. But what does he say? Despite the physical suffering, I still came down to you in the midst of that conflict and declared to you the gospel. I wasn't afraid. That's boldness. So it's like Satan's second strategy was, okay, maybe I can't physically scare you, but let me ruin your reputation. I can't physically scare you, but let me get people to stop listening to you by slandering you and spreading lies and, and untruth about you. And so that's what's happening here. And Paul begins to defend himself. He says, look, our appeal, or your version may say, our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul is saying here, we had Christian integrity. And I want to break this Christian integrity down for us and learn a couple things. Number one, Christian integrity or Christ-centered integrity it involves pointing people to the truth of God's word. We are pointing people to the truth of God's word. If we could do this, we could take all of these negatives and find positive characteristics of Christian integrity. So Paul says, look, my exhortation did not come from error. Instead, it came from the source of truth, the Word of God, the Bible. And see, folks, you need truth. And, and, and we need truth that is foundational, that does not change, because in, this, in the subjectivity of our world, people go, yeah, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And, that, and, and what they're doing is they're trying to make the Bible subjective. 
And folks, the Bible is not subjective. It is objective. It is absolute, which means it does not change. As we talked about last week, it applies to the same person in Africa in a village or a mud hut with no technology, no electricity, no running water. It applies to the same way to them as it does to a person in the middle of a city like Memphis, Tennessee. Because it, it expands beyond all things. So that person in, in, in the middle of the Sudan can't say to me, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me because you're different. I wear, I wear you know, goat skins for clothes and you shop at the Gap. We're a little different here. Yeah, but the Word of God does not change. The Word of God is the same. And it transcends all of these generations. It transcends all of these cultures, all of history, and says, look, God's word stays the same. It is eternal. And so we point people to that truth because it's unwavering. It's unwavering. And so Paul uses this word error. And he's basically saying, look, what I'm doing, I'm not, I'm not trying to lead you astray. That's what that word means. He's saying, my exhortation is not to lead you astray. The opposite of that is, my exhortation is to keep you on the path of righteousness. My, my exhortation is to keep you on the path that God leads you to the gospel to eternal life. That's my job. Like a sheep guiding his, uh, or like a shepherd guiding his sheep along the path, he wants to keep the, the, the sheep on the right path. And I read in a story one time, and I think I may have shared this with you before, about a, a, a man that was, was uh, a pastor, and he went in, over to the Middle East and he studied shepherds. And he went out and he interviewed these shepherds. Some of these shepherds were like 90 years old. They had shepherded their whole life. Imagine that lifestyle. And this shepherd tells this pastor the story of, of witnessing one time a young, inexperienced shepherd. And he watched this young shepherd guide and direct his sheep. And the problem was is the shepherd began to lead him, these, this, this flock of I think 150 sheep, down the wrong path. And one after the other, as the path began to narrow, the sheep followed one after the other, and they were all following the shepherd. And then the shepherd began to kind of step along uh, to the side, and, and the sheep kept going, and, they, and, and he was just guiding and directing them and pushing the flock, and they were going, and they got to the edge of a cliff. And one sheep after another jumped off of the cliff because that was the path they were led down. And all they did was they followed the sheep in front of them. And he watched in horror as this shepherd led them down the wrong path. Paul is saying, I'm not trying to lead you down the wrong path. I'm trying to lead you down the right path. My exhortation does not come from error. And so folks, in our lives as believers, we have to point people to the truth. And folks, I say that in, in, a, in a way to understand that we, we can't just point people to the truth and we have to point people to the truth. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is that a lot of times as believers, we don't even understand the sufficiency of the truth. We don't understand that the, the Word of God is what we need for life and godliness. We want to add other things to it. Like, you really need to study God's Word and listen to Oprah Winfrey. You really need to study the Word of God and find the best pop psychology that will help you. Folks, we're not talking about that. We're saying point people to the Word of God. How would you, at this moment, if someone came to you, how would you help them in their marriage in the Word of God? What would you point them to? What scripture verses would, would, would come to your mind? Ephesians 5, teaching them about how a husband and a wife are to submit and sacrifice to one another. How would you help a young person dealing with depression? 
What scriptures would you point them to? How would you help a, a young, a, an older man that's lost his job or is facing a, a disease or sickness? Folks, we have to be equipped and we have to be prepared because God has called us to encourage one another and to exhort one another according to what? The Holy Scriptures. That's what He's called us to do. And so it's like we're arming ourselves for the spiritual battle. We have to be prepared, prepared for, as, as the, the, the theme in my house is be proactive, not reactive. That's the theme of my house. So we're prepared for the ice storm. We're not reacting to the ice storm. All right? So go home, dig a, a bunker in your backyard, okay, store a bunch of, you know, emergency. We don't have all that. I'm kidding. That's, that would be weird. But the, the point is, is that you, you have to be, as a, as, a, as a believer in Christ, as a person with spiritual integrity, one that's going to point people to the truth, and, that, and knowing that that truth, as I read from Psalm 119, is true. It's, it's the only source of truth that people have of, of, of spiritual things. Every other source, every other form is error. It's false truth. Buddhism, Hinduism, work salvation. Uh, matter of fact, I want us to just think about this for a second. Because we have in our world today false gospels. False gospels coming from people that write books, and those books end up in our Christian bookstores, and we read them and we go, well, it's in Lifeway, it must be true. It must, it must be true because I trust my convention, and my convention has a bookstore, and my bookstore has these books, so what I read must be true. Folks, we have to be more discerning than that. We have to be more discerning. We have to be like the Bereans who say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound just right. That doesn't really jive with Scripture. Let me really figure out, does God really want my life to be full of riches? Is that what he promises me? A life full of, of wealth and prosperity? That all I have to do is give a little to him and he gives more back? Is that what he promises me? Because that's what we call the prosperity gospel. That what I do for God, what I, the faithfulness in, in God and, and my giving to God, God will bring back to me in return. Well, tell that to the Apostle Paul when he's sitting in a Philippian jail, having his clothes ripped off and beaten and imprisoned. And every city he goes to, that happens until he finally is killed. Or as, as tradition says, Peter is crucified upside down. Or Polycarp is burned alive at the stake. Or others believers that were, were ripped apart by lions. Tell me what their faithfulness was like before they faced a den of lions in front of large crowds in Rome. Were they not faithful? No, they were faithful to the word of God. God does not always promise us earthly blessings. Matter of fact, sometimes God says the, that the, the root of evil is money. That sometimes we can get so caught up in wealth and so caught up in money that it will lead us astray. But instead we have heavenly blessing. He doesn't promise us earthly blessing. He promises heavenly blessing, blessings in eternity. He's not going to allow us to, 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 to suffer for eternity, even if we suffer on the earth. Some people may be poor. If you're coming to God, if you're coming to Jesus to, to have financial wealth, you may not ever get it. But you have the wealth of eternity. You are adopted into a family that owns all things that has all spiritual blessings. And so as scripture says, we are entitled to all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
And so my prayer is, is that your treasure would not be a treasure of, of earthly things, but of heavenly things. There's other prosperity, or there's other false gospels that we know of. We, we hear of the works salvation gospel. Just the fact that, you know, hey, look, if you just do and work and, and serve and do all those things, you will earn favor before God. Folks, let me tell you something. There's absolutely nothing you and I can do to earn favor before God. There's absolutely nothing to do. That you would have to be God in the flesh, perfect in all ways, able to sacrifice yourself on the cross. You are not God's son, and so you cannot appease the wrath of God. You cannot make him like you or love you any more than Christ has already done for us. Christ suffered and died. He faced the wrath of God so that we could have peace with him. And there is no greater peace. There is no adding to that peace because Christ has accomplished all that for us. And so when we trust in Christ, you become a son and daughter of God. Our identity is in him. And so you no longer have to work to please God. He is already pleased with you. And from that life of of joy and, and treasuring Christ, then you serve him not to earn anything, but because of your love for him. Your obedience to him is because you have already been accepted into his kingdom. And so we come to preach the true gospel, as I just stated, what Christ has come to do, how he died and rose again, how he ushers peace into our life with God, no longer at enmity with God. And we, we, we refute these false gospels. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm not bringing you a false gospel. I'm bringing you the real gospel. I'm not bringing you error. I'm not leading you astray. I'm pointing you to the truth. Number one, Christ-centered integrity involves pointing people to the truth. Number two, Christ-centered integrity means living according to the truth. Paul uses a second word here. If you want to circle it in your Bible, he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. Now, most of the time in the scriptures, that word refers to sexual immorality. And what, what, what is, is assumed here is that the, the attack upon Paul was not, hey, listen, your, your, your leader, your apostle Paul, he was preaching false truth to you. But not only that, but your apostle Paul, he, he's actually living an impure life. Because sexual morality was rampant among Christian leaders or, or leaders in, in, in religious sects in Paul's day. So you would go to a, a temple, you would go into a city, and you would see the, the religious temples and, 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 uh, that are to the Greek gods and things of that nature, and, and you had prostitution and you had all this uh, sexual morality that was attached to, that was affixed to your worship of that deity. So you had, you had religious uh, leaders that were rampant in sexual morality, that lived completely impure lives. And what do we have to see from the Apostle Paul? The exact opposite. Paul is saying, look, I'm not living a life that's impure. I'm living a life that's holy. That's the opposite of impurity and immorality, is morality and holiness. Why is he saying this? Because he does not want his reputation destroyed by what people are saying about him. Listen, folks, as a pastor, as a pastor, I have to constantly put up barriers and boundaries in my life so that I cannot be accused of immorality. On my computer, when I was a youth pastor, I was never alone with a girl by myself. Never. I don't care if it was the pastor's daughter. 
I was never alone with young ladies in my, in my ministry because I never wanted to present an opportunity for someone to diminish or ruin my reputation. That's all it took. It, nothing even had to happen. All, all that had to happen was somebody say that something happened. All that somebody, some young girl, naive girl, all she had to do was say, yeah, Nathan did this or Nathan did that, and, and my ministry's ruined. And so Paul is saying that, that he is living a pure and holy life because he wants to point people to the truth of the gospel. And that is our challenge as well, because if we want to be able to lead people to Christ, we have to have the integrity of living a holy life. As I read in Psalm 119, we want to live according to the scriptures. We want to obey the commandments of God, because they're not just there to set rules before us. They're there for our good. The word of God, the law of God is there for our good. Not only does it bring conviction and show us our need for Christ, but listen, it's there for your safety. Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7 says the, the way of the prostitute of the adulterer leads to your destruction. So sexual morality and the pathway to sexual morality, it doesn't just make your life difficult. It leads to your destruction. That's what the, the, the writer Solomon says. So the word of God is not just to point us to Christ and show us our sin, but it's to keep you in goodness and righteousness and holiness. It's to keep you along that path. And so Paul says, look, I, I'm not guilty of living an impure life. Many of you guys probably have heard of the church in Birmingham, the church of Brook Hills. If you've never heard of that church, that is the church that David Platt, Pastor David Platt, pastored for many years. And, and you could say that, that by him being the pastor and, and, and his popularity as an author and as a leader in the evangelical Southern Baptist churches, that he, he kind of put uh, Brook Hills on the map. But what you don't probably know about Brook Hills is that before David Platt came, that church had 40 or 4,300 members there. He, he took that church on with, when it was already large. And the, 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 what you probably don't know is the pastor before that is, an, is a man by the name of Rick Owsley. And Rick Owsley pastored that church for many years. And he saw ex, extremely large amounts of growth, numerical growth in that church. But the problem was is that in 2007, after Pastor Rick Owsley had retired and, and continued on in another ministry, word came out that for, I think, 12 to 15 years, he was involved in an extramarital affair with a woman in Texas. And as he traveled as the chaplain for the Sanford football team, he would go and meet up with this woman and, and have uh, affairs with her at time after time after time. And, and all of a sudden, folks, it's like, I mean, what are you talking about? This guy grew this church from this little bitty church to 4,300 people, and all of a sudden, you find out this and your mind is blown and his reputation is, is destroyed. And, and we think in our minds, surely a man of God that, that, that falls in such a way, surely there would, there would no longer be a ministry available for him. Can I tell you that right now he's pastoring a church in Birmingham? And folks, that should not be. 
That should not be. Listen, I understand that if, if by God's, uh, God's grace he protects me and, and God allows me to, to live a holy life and, 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 and I pray, please pray for me that I turn from temptation and sin because I'm not, I'm not insusceptible. I, I can fall. I'm not, I'm not, uh, it's just as likely that that could happen to me. And so I have to strive and pray and say, God, please uh, lead me uh, away from evil and, and temptation so that I could live the life that you have for me. But if I fall, my ministry's over. My ministry's done. And I, don't, and, and I hopefully I would have the, the, the common sense and the Spirit, Holy Spirit conviction to understand that my ministry's done. That yes, God's grace is sufficient to forgive me of my sin and cover that sin, but my reputation is done, is diminished. Why? Because who will trust me speaking the truth of the gospel if I am living a lie, if I'm living a double lie with people, where people are finding out this, this life that, that I lived that was completely in secret, where I was lying to my children, I was lying to my wife. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. And I pray that Pastor Rick has come to know Christ and he understands the forgiveness he has in Christ, but my opinion is he should not be pastoring a church. He should not be doing it. And I pray and, and I submit to the, 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 the congregation here that if, 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 if I ever fell in that way, I would step down and understand that same respect, responsibility for me. And folks, I'm telling you that because this is how Paul lived his life. Not in impurity, but holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For God has not called us to impurity, but he contrasted here. He has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. And so if we are to live lives that are preaching the truth and pointing people to the truth, then brothers and sisters, we have to live by the truth. 1 Peter tells us, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, but he who, has, uh, he who called you is holy, also be holy in your conduct. Why should we live holy lives? Not just because we have a responsibility to point people to the truth, but because our Father is holy. Because we have been saved by a, our Creator who is perfectly holy in all things. Our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and Lord Jesus Christ is holy in all things. And so what are we to do? Imitate Him in holiness. 1 Peter chapter 2 also says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your content, uh, conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So my question to you is, how is your reputation among the world? Can you stand as a person, not perfectly holy, no one's asking you to be perfect, but are you striving for holiness? Are you striving for holiness? And folks, let me just tell you that, that at this point in, in, my, in my message, in my sermon, as we think about these things, let me just tell you that, 
that when we understand the responsibility of sharing the gospel and pointing people to the truth of the gospel, and then we get to the second point here of, of, you know, of, of the responsibility of holiness in our lives and, and, and how we should live holy, this is where people go, well, man, I'm not fit to share the gospel because I'm not holy. And folks, let me just tell you that we're not preaching perfectionism here because if that was true, nobody could share the gospel except Jesus. So what I'm asking you and what the Word of God commands us to do is live lives continually of putting on the truth of Scripture, putting on the commandments of Scripture, of following the path of righteousness, and putting off a daily destruction, or as as the Puritans called, a mortification of sin. That's what we're called to do. Are you daily dying to yourself and the sin in your life and striving for holiness? And in the sense of that, are you living according to the gospel who when you fall, you don't allow the the shame and the guilt to weigh you down and, and, and keep you from inactivity, but you live in the light of the gospel every day knowing that your sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing else for you to do. Because if we live in light of the gospel, we don't allow our sin to weigh us down. We seek forgiveness and we confess that to God and we continue to move forward and be active. We don't sit and sulk and mope and go, oh, I didn't read my Bible this week, or, or I didn't pray like I should have. I'm such a, wor- a worthless Christian. I'm not any good, or any, I'm not effective for the kingdom. That's exactly the way Satan wants us to live. To not understand the gospel, to be so down upon ourselves, and to not live in the confidence and the hope that the gospel brings us. Number three, Christ-centered integrity Christ-centered integrity means being motivated by the glory of God. Being motivated by the glory of God. Let me flip back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. That last phrase in the first section there, attempt to deceive, it's a word that means uh, where, where a lot of our, my outdoorsmen, it's, it, it means to bait, right? So when you put out your decoys and you pull out your wooden duck call and you're luring those, those helpless little animals down onto that lake water and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I want to go mate. I want to go have some fun. Oh, look, there must be some ducks over there or, or there must be some deer because I smell some deer. And then a, a bullet goes through their left shoulder or, or through the middle of their heart. You have baited them, right? And I'm not against hunting, guys. Don't. I love, please bring me meat to eat. I would enjoy that. I'd just let you go out in the sub-freezing temperatures and kill it for me. But the point is you have baited that animal. And listen, the, 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 the uh, accusation against Paul is that he is baiting you to deceive you. He even says later in verse 5, he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor a pretext of greed, God is witness. He's saying, look, you're not being manipulated. I'm not manipulating you. I have no financial gain from this ministry. I'm not trying to get rich or have helicopters or have my own TV ministry. I'm here to bring to you truth. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to bring corruption. I'm not trying to bring deception upon you. Because I am motivated, he says, for the glory of God. Verse 4. I have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. 
So I speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. This is an amazing message here because in verse 4, Paul says, look, I don't serve you. I don't come to Thessalonica to serve people. I come to Thessalonica to serve God, which in turn serves people. I don't come to bring a message to you from myself. I come to bring a message that God has delivered to you through me. I'm the messenger. I'm the mailman. I'm bringing the message that God has for you. And it's not a message of of horror or evil. It's a message of good. It's a good message. God wants to save you. God wants to redeem you. And it doesn't matter how wicked and, 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 and horrible of a life you've lived, God is willing to save you by the blood of his son. And so the message, Paul says, is, is I have been given this message. I have been approved by God. That, that word there, approved, means examined, examined, and sent. Examined by God. And, and folks, this is where we can look at the Apostle Paul's life and he's saying, look, God has made me an apostle. God has made me an apostle. It is by his work and design that this is my, my lot in life. Flip over to um, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And look at, look at how, uh, how the Lord Jesus describes the appointment for Paul as a minister of the gospel. Look in verse 15 of Acts chapter 9. Just to set this up, Paul has been persecuting the church. His name is Saul. Before that, he's persecuting the church. He's throwing Christians in prison. And then he has this radical conversion experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus appears to him, blinds him, and and, and now Paul is blind. And and then Jesus sends a, a servant of his, Ananias, And so Ananias goes to Paul, and and Jesus tells Ananias, he says, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So when Paul says, look, I've been approved by Jesus to go and do this. God has this plan for me to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the children and people of Israel. That's my job. That's my responsibility. And the God of all creation who made the mountains and made all the creation has this plan for me. And folks, he has plans for you in the same way. He has those appointments and those callings. My calling is to stand up here and preach the gospel to Redemption Community Church. Before this, my calling was to preach the gospel to students at Ellendale Baptist Church. Your calling is different. The Bible says that some people are appointed as elders and pastors. Some are appointed as as deacons. Some are appointed, uh, appointed as missionaries, whatever, evangelists. There's so many different places and ways to serve the church. But the point is, is that God has callings in your life as well as he has callings in mine and in the Apostle Paul. The God of all creation wants and has a plan for you to serve the church, to spread the gospel. Now, ladies, if you're in here today, God's calling is not for you to be a pastor. It's it's clearly in Scripture. God is not calling you to do that. So if you come to me today and go, well, you know, you said that in your sermon, but last night God spoke to me and told me he wants me to be a pastor. I'm going to take you to the Word of God. 
As I said in point one, I'm going to take you back to the truth of Scripture, and I'm going to say, no, that's not, you're not understanding God correctly. Now, God may want you to teach women and teach uh, young children or, 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 or have a, a women's ministry here and serve in that way, but he is not calling you to the pastorate. And I will stand and tell any woman that is a pastor in the world that very same thing because the truth, as I said, is universal among all people. But what he could be doing is calling you to serve and teach the Word of God. There are wonderful teachers of the Word of God that are not pastors. Wonderful teachers. And my challenge to you is to say, okay, God, what is your calling on my life? Maybe your calling is to pack your family sell all your possessions, and go live in another country and serve and and share the gospel. Maybe that's your calling. Maybe your calling is to be a deacon and and take care of cleaning the church or, or, or the things that, all these little things that need to be done. God has all these different ways, but the, the point is this. You have been equipped, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been equipped with gifts from the Holy Spirit, and those gifts and that purpose of those gifts are to serve the church. That's your gifting. That's your calling. And I, and I think they sit here and, and we, we, we don't understand those gifts and we don't understand that calling. And, and so we don't, a lot of times we don't do anything. So can I challenge you this morning to, to ask yourself, what is my gifting of the Holy Spirit? Where has he gifted me to serve the church? And what am I doing about it? How am I serving? Man, if you can't find a place to serve, if I'm not giving you an opportunity to do that and you have those gifts, take that speaker and drop it on my head. Because I do not ever want to, as a pastor, stand in the way of God's call on someone's life. My job is to evaluate that call. My job is to equip you for the work of the ministry as a pastor. But I never want to stand in the way of that. And so if I'm not doing it, please go find a church that will give you an opportunity to do that. Because, man, by all means, that is a divine call from God. And I don't want to be the one to stand. I don't want to be an obstacle in doing that. But what's the point? What is Paul saying? I have been approved by God. He is called by God to do what? To declare the gospel. He is entrusted with the gospel. You know what that that word entrusted means? It's the same word, pistuo, that means believe. In the Bible, in the gospels, when we say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, same word. So in essence, we could say God trusts you with the gospel. We say believing in Christ is trusting in Him, putting our faith in Him. The Bible says that God trusts you with the gospel. Now, as a parent, as I've grown and, you know, continued to have children upon children upon children, and, and I'm at the total number of five now, I have learned that these are not my children. God has entrusted these children to me. I am a steward of these children while they live on this earth, God brought them into this world, and God will take them out of this world whenever he sees fit. That is not my responsibility to determine the beginning and the end of their days. My job is to to care for them and to, to love them and to nurture them and to make them into disciples of Jesus Christ. That's my job. They belong to him. And in the same way, the gospel is about his son. And he has entrusted that gospel to us. And he determined when we were going to receive the gospel. And, and, and he's going to uh, come again. And that gospel is no longer going to be needed in the world when Jesus comes back. And so what do we have? We have this time that we are entrusted with it. That we are responsible for it. And what, in a, what a glorious thing. We should find joy in that. 
We should find, uh, we should be amazed and humbled. We should walk around and go, yeah, God chose me. But instead of like, God, you chose me? Are you kidding? What was in me? What was in me that you found it worthy that I could take the gospel to people? And God's going to go, nothing. I found Jesus worthy. He was worthy. He was worthy. And, and, And you believe and trust in him, and you only believe and trust in him because I've allowed you to do that. And so you believe and trust in him because of Christ. And so all glory be to Jesus Christ. He belongs and deserves the preeminence. And that's what we do. We serve God because we have been entrusted with him. We serve God because, or we've been trusted with the gospel. And so Paul finishes, he says, So we speak then not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Man, this is, I'm going to tell you right now. This is the best verse for a pastor. This is, the, this is like, like the weight of, of, of man service is, is, is lifted when I think of this verse. You know why? Because it, it is, a, it is a, a, a guilty sin of every pastor trying to please every person in his congregation. How, how can I please you? How can I make you happy? What can I do? What can I do? Even if you don't even require it. It's just a natural tendency And the truth is, is that the ministry of the gospel is about serving God. Yes, there are people in churches. We can't have churches without people. But we are serving God. We are are trying to please him. And so, listen, I I get to this verse and I'm like, you know, Paul's basically saying, look, I'm not going to make everybody happy. but But God is happy in me or with me because of Jesus. And so I don't have to necessarily try to please everybody and make everybody happy if I'm doing what God has called me to do. Because I know that it's it's an impossible task to make everyone happy. You may not like the color of the carpets or the black ceiling or the the way the lights are different colors. I understand that. We want to do everything in excellence, but somebody in some way is always going to be dissatisfied and discontent with something. And if I try to live in that world and swim in that river, there's plenty of other things that are going to eat me and destroy me. And I can't live there. So what do I do? God, is this the kind of church that you want? I know you don't care about this building, God. So we're going to make it nice and comfortable. But am I proclaiming the gospel the way that you want me to proclaim it? Am I encouraging believers and equipping the saints the way that you want? That's what we're here to do. And, 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 and so that should be in a similar way an understanding for you because as a Christian leader... If you are out in the world and you're standing for truth and people ridicule you and they slander you and they destroy your reputation, hey, listen, your reputation doesn't matter in the world as long as you have identity in Christ. If you're a son or daughter of God, who cares what people think of you? If God is pleased with the work, if you're faithful to the work, God is pleased with that. He is, he is thankful for your faithfulness. Don't worry about what men and women say or think. Man, what an amazing Uh, joy and comfort that is and so Paul says look I serve and and I've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel so we speak we don't hold back we speak not to please men but to please God who tests our hearts we test he tests our hearts and so my question to you today are you doing your job at work are you parenting and doing so for the glory of God. First, uh, First Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Jesus Christ deserves the preeminence. And so what that means is that everything we do, 
we're doing to please God. Not to earn favor with God, but to say, God, is this pleasing in your sight? The Bible says that our lives, that we are living sacrifices to God. And so the question is, are you living a life that is pleasing to God? Is it imitating God? Is it a life of holiness and righteousness where you're turning away from sin and and resting in the grace that he's given you? Are you serving him faithfully? Are you seeking to honor him above all things? Because that is Christian integrity. Because if you're living a holy life, then you're speaking truth to people. You're living holiness or living a holy life in your neighborhood and at your job. And guess what? What happens is is that you will become a Christian leader because you are making a difference in your workplace. Because you are are a person that is honest with your boss. And, And I don't know about bosses in the world, but the ones I've met, they like honesty. They like hard work. Are you working with excellence? Because that's, these are all under the umbrella of, of, of Christian integrity. So Paul is basically saying, if we could summarize this in a, in, a, in, a, in a small, he's saying, look, everything I'm doing, speaking truth, living a pure life, uh, pointing you to, to the glory of God, all this is done in Christian honesty and integrity. And that's what he's called us to do as well. Would you bow your heads with me? Before we are dismissed today, I just want to remind you, as I have in our sermon, of what the gospel means. The gospel means the good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ, who was perfectly man and perfectly God, came down upon this earth, took upon flesh, lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, He taught about the kingdom of God, about the the eternal life to come. And then he gave his life on the cross so that we could be free from our sin. And so if you're here today and if I were to ask you how you were going to get to heaven, many people's responses to that is, well, I'm a good person. And I'm here to tell you today that no good people are going to be in heaven. Heaven is full of sinners that have been given the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you think you can be a good person to get to heaven, you'll never be good enough to earn your salvation. And so can I, can I plead with you today to turn from your sin? The Bible says we come to Christ by believing and trusting that he was God in the flesh, that he suffered and died and that he rose from the grave. And if you believe and put your trust in that work, you will be saved. And I implore you, I beg you to trust Christ today.